You're listening to the teaching of Calvary Paris. For more information, go to www.calvaryparis.com. Amen. Well, it was Alan Redpath, a famous pastor and man who mentored many other pastors in England, who said that if you're going to be in ministry, you need to have the heart of a child, the mind of a scholar, and the skin of a rhino, a rhinoceros, because you're going to get hurt. Uh, ministry is difficult. Ministry is, is something that um, can be painful. And as an example of that, I'll just share quickly of a time in pastoral ministry when there was a, a person in the congregation I was pastoring, uh, and this is years ago in Costa Rica, and, and this this person had chosen to live in sin with uh, her boyfriend. She, they, they had decided they would move in together. And, you know, we, we, it was a small church, about 60 adults. Um, and it was, a, it was a time when I, as a pastor, was concerned for this person because I saw them going down the road towards sin, you know, sexual impurity, and then taking the step to even live together. And as a pastor, when you see that, you're concerned because you know where that's going to lead. You know that that's not going to end well. And you know that that kind of sin is going to lead to destruction at some point, And it's not good. So, so I prayed and wrestled with it and allowed some time for the Holy Spirit to minister first and to, to work in that person's life. Well, it wasn't happening. So I had, to, I had to approach this person in love and in humility and sit down and say, hey, you know, can I talk with you about this? Yeah, 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 go ahead. You know that what you're doing is, is not right. Yeah, we, well, we know it's not right. And I showed them some verses, some scriptures. But they didn't, they didn't do anything about it. They just, this person decided I'm going to continue to live like this. And so... I was forced to do the next thing as a pastor, which was to go, hey, you know, we, we need to address this. We need to talk about this. Why? What's the, what's the problem here and where you're, you're so dead set in your heart on this path instead of pleasing him, you know? What's going on in your life that's, that's causing this? And so, you know, I brought one of our, our, our other uh, pastors and also one of the elders in the church, and we just, in, in love, sat down with this person Tried to talk to them about it. Well, they got very offended that we would do that. And this long story short, it got to a point where I actually had to ask this person to stop attending our church because they had chosen, unfortunately, to, to live, you know, they had chosen their sin above the Lord at that point. And it was a really, really hard time. But I, I can remember reaching out to this person uh, after I heard that this person had gone into the community and really slandered me and said that I had said some things that I didn't really ever say and that I had done some things that I'd never really done, and it hurt real bad. And so I called her on the phone, and, man, she was yelling at me on the phone, and, and I'm going, oh, man, Lord, this hurts. <laughs> this is not fun. This is, this is not what I pictured ministry was going to be like, Lord. And just realizing that, you know, the more you love on people, the more you care for them, the more you have a heart for their soul, sometimes it, it results in pain. It results in hurt. 
And, you know, there's a good ending to that story, thankfully. This gal, uh, after living with this man for a while and not fellowshipping in the church, she, grew, she came to realize, he doesn't love me the way God loves me and the way that the people in the church love me. And she, you know, she really repented and reversed course and came back to the church and is there now, you know, um, and, and uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's a neat story of how God reconciled. But it doesn't always happen that way. And so what I want to talk about tonight is that ministry is not easy, but it is worth it. Ministry is not easy, but it is worth it. And that's what Paul is going to be telling us here in chapter 4. That even though there is really hard things that you go through, and even though there is pain and suffering in our lives, this ministry that we've been given by the Lord far outweighs the, the amount of suffering when you compare them in eternity, in eternal perspective. And so chapter 4 is all about Paul's perseverance in preaching. And he starts off by talking about the fact that Paul is preaching all because of God's mercy. Look at verses 1 and 2 with me. It says, therefore, since we have this heart, or this ministry, I'm sorry, since we have this ministry, as we have received mercy, we do not lose heart. But we have renounced the hidden things of shame, not walking in craftiness nor handling the word of God deceitfully, but by manifestation of the truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. So let's pause right here, first of all. Paul starts off with that word, therefore, and that links us together with everything that's going to follow in chapter 4. It, it links that cha- this chapter together with the wonderful ministry of the new covenant, which he was talking about in chapter 3, in verse 6. Remember, he started talking about the source of his sufficiency being in Christ and how Christ had given him a ministry the ministry of the good news, the ministry of the new covenant. Well, guess what, church? That ministry has been given to you. The great commission is for all Christians. You've been given the ministry of sharing the good news. And in that ministry, Paul is now linking that together with difficulties in that ministry. And we're going to see that Paul attributes his role in the ministry to the mercy of God in his life. He holds to the truth that to be commissioned to preach God's good news is so important, it's so glorious, it's so wonderful, that it is only by God's mercy that we have received this ministry. And we might remember Paul's past here as well, which which is probably what Paul has in mind when he says this, I received this ministry through mercy. He's talking about the fact that he'd been the man who held the, the robes of the men that stoned Stephen. When they were casting the stones that were, you know, killing Stephen, the very first martyr for Christ, Paul was the man who was holding their robes for them. Paul was the man who was breathing threats and murder on his way to Damascus in order to do harm to the Christians there and to stop the church from growing. In that moment, it was that God intervened in his life and knocked him off of his horse with the dazzling light of Jesus Christ himself. So Paul is especially aware aware as he's writing these verses of how great God's mercy has been in giving him a ministry of now being able to preach the good news. The definition of the Greek word for mercy used in verse 1 here is compassionate. 
You know, it's the idea that God has shown compassion in Paul's life by stepping in and rescuing him from destruction for his glory. I love that picture. How many of us have the same story? I know I do. I know that God has been so compassionate in my life. He has stepped in and rescued me from the destruction of my own sin. You know, if left to ourselves, we're selfish creatures. And we will pursue sin. We will do it. But it takes God's mercy, stepping in, rescuing us from, some of us from being in the pit. He's pulled us out of that pit. Others, he's kept us from ever falling in. It's all his mercy. It's all his grace. Listen, this, this kind of mercy from God, this should be a huge reason for why we give ourselves to God. For why we say, Lord, praise you, thank you for what you've done in my life. That's what Paul is saying here. He's, he's recognizing this because of God's mercy that Paul does not lose heart. Now that's another statement there. Paul does not lose heart because of God's mercy. We could, we could spend a lot of time reflecting on that. You know, I often lose heart far too easily because of losing sight of how great the ministry that I've been given. I, I, lo- I lose sight of the, f- of, of the calling God's placed on my life. I can lose heart so easily. You know, whenever we find ourselves losing heart, we need to step back for a moment. We need to remember what it means to be entrusted with such a wonderful opportunity that we have been entrusted with a ministry from God, ministers of the new covenant, ministers of salvation. Think about salvation for just a moment with me tonight. We're talking about an eternal life change, a destination change for all of eternity. We get to be ministers of that. That's amazing. You know, according to Barna Group survey that was released earlier this year, Barna Group is a research and survey group based in Southern California that conduct research. This particular one was uh, done with 1,715 participants of a wide range of demographics in the United States. Uh, But they they, they found that there's a growing number of Christians who no longer see sharing the good news of Jesus Christ as their own personal responsibility. Instead, there's been a, a shift to seeing the local church as being responsible for sharing the good news, for sharing the gospel. And that's, that's interesting. Comparing the results of a similar survey that was done 25 years ago in 1993, they found that there's been a 25 point per, a percentage point drop from 89% to 64% among Christians today who were asked if they felt that it was their responsibility to share the gospel with others. Interesting. The survey goes on to say this. This is from Roxanne Stone, the editor-in-chief at Barner Group. She says, so what's happening here? Why are Christians so reluctant to talk about their faith? The overarching cultural trends of secularism, relativism, Pluralism and the digital age are contributing to a society that is less interested in religion and that has marginalized the place of spirituality in everyday life. Continues Stone. As a result, Christians in America today have to live in the tension between Jesus' commands to tell others the good news and growing cultural taboos against proselytizing. 
a core part of Christianity from its origins, and many practicing Christians believe is essential for the salvation of their listeners. Well, yeah. It's essential that if the gospel is going to go forth, we preach it. It's essential. And yet we're living in a culture that is marginalizing that and saying, hey, you don't have that place to speak into my life in that way. Well, guys, we've got to make a choice. We're faced as Christians with a growing pressure to not share. And many are caving into that today. And guys, we have got to get back to this place that Paul is at here in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. You know, our lives are like Christianity light compared to what Paul went through. Hope we all know that. (laughs) We're going to get to a passage here in 2 Corinthians where he starts to talk about what he went through in order to share the gospel. And you and I are just going to be like, wow, (laughs) I'm I'm, I'm Christianity light. I'm on diet Christian, you know, (laughs) life compared to what Paul was into. But perhaps the church today has forgotten God's great mercy. I think that's a key. We've forgotten God's great mercy in our own lives and the compassion and just how wonderful the mission is that we have been given and entrusted. You know, we need Christians today who will denounce the hidden things of shame. Did you notice that in verse 2? Paul says we've denounced those things. We need Christians that are willing to denounce the hidden things of shame. Let me just say this very quickly. We need to get over the shame culture in the church. And there are some things that we need to start to recognize and realize we need each other for. I think pornography is one of those things. I think pornography is crippling men's power to have a clear conscience and to go forth and to shine the light of Jesus wherever we are. Because pornography is so accessible on these things and these things and computers and it's so, it's so prevalent today. And yet in the church, we're shaming each other over that. Whereas in the world, they're like, hey, everybody's doing it. Who cares? You know, and they don't care. They're not ashamed of it. But here in the church, we're we're, we're, we're keeping people down. We're allowing Satan to keep people down because of shame. We need to get past it, guys. We need to denounce those things. We need to get accountability. We need to cut off accessibility. And we need to battle. We need to fight it. It's crippling us. But listen, we do need Christians today that are going to denounce the hidden things of shame. We need Christians that are genuine, sincere, not afraid to share the struggles that they're going through. That's why we have each other. That's what we need each other for. We need believers to be living out convictions without deceit, without giving people, you know, a sneaky approach to Christianity. We need to just go come out and, hey, let me be honest with this with you. I don't have all the answers. Hey, you might ask me a question I don't know the answer to. I'm not afraid to admit that. But I'm still going to share with you what I know. I'm going to share how Jesus changed my life. Listen, we can't water down the gospel. We can't corrupt it with our own human ingenuity. We can't water it down with our own idea of how we should present it. We just need to present it. (laughs) It's God's gospel, not ours. We can't taint it. We just need to present it truthfully and in love. And that's what Paul says, that's what I've done. That's what it's boiled down to for me. That's what I do. Look at what he continues. He continues in verse 3, giving us an explanation now of why not all people are going to be saved. In verse 3, he says, But even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing, whose minds the God of this age has blinded, who do not believe 
lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on them. Let's pause right here. Paul here is anticipating this question of discouragement that faces him. It faces the church. It faces this ministry of life, this ministry of the good news. We face this discouragement, guys. Not all who hear the good news receive it as such. In fact, some reject it. Some make fun of it. And so not all who hear receive it. Why does the good news remain hidden behind a veil for some people? Why don't they just get it? It seems like if we could explain it, it should be such an obvious choice for anybody who hears. But listen, we have to remember Jesus also warned us about this, didn't he? Jesus warned us. He told us that the good news of salvation, it's going to divide people into two basic categories. There's going to be those who receive the light from God and there's those who will remain in darkness. And those that remain in darkness do so because they love their darkness more than they love the light, Jesus said. When you add in the fact that Satan, the God of this world mentioned in these verses, he's fighting to keep people from receiving good news, guess what? You begin to understand what's happening here. Now, really quick as an aside, when it says that Satan is the God of this world, don't, don't take that out of context. Don't, that doesn't mean that Satan's in control, you know? That, that he's, you know, the God of this world in the sense, as, just as God is God in the heavens, Satan is God in this world. No way. Not even close. This just means that sadly, this world and the people in it who have rejected God, they're, they're siding with Satan. They're choosing to follow him. And, and whether they know it or not, they've made Satan their God. That's what this, is, that's what this means. And, and, and that's a scary thought when you think about it. But it lines up with what Jesus said in Matthew 12, verse 30. He said, hey, if you're not for me, you're against me. Satan is the God of this world in the sense that the world is under his sway. Not in the sense of actually being the ultimate deity or the force that can do anything he wants. Now, these verses show us there is a spiritual battle raging in heavenly places around those who are ministers of the gospel. You and I, Christians, followers of Jesus Christ, we've been given a ministry, and wherever we go, and we're trying to diffuse the fragrance of Christ, the the, the light of the gospel, the light of Jesus, guess what? You will face spiritual warfare. There will be a spiritual battle raging. Satan is going to, you know, throw all kinds of things in front of you. You know, it was... I think it was Tim Tebow as, as he was in college and standing for the Lord. You know, he's a Heisman Trophy winner and led his team to national championships and very successful athlete, but also on fire for the Lord at the same time. And there's, in, in his book, he talks about how, you know, before games, people would send him pornographic images in his email and things like that. And, you know, girls trying to get him to stumble and fall because it's, it's a well-known fact, you know, that he's... He's staying pure until he's married. That's, he's living out his absence, you know, his, his, his calling before the Lord to be pure. And the, the, the amount of attack that came against him, there's a spiritual battle waging in that man's life. And not just his, but anybody's life who's going to step out as a minister of the gospel. You know, some people just do not understand that Jesus Christ is the image of God. He's the light of God. And they don't understand that 
and they don't want to receive it. They don't want anything to do with it because it makes them uncomfortable. It makes them scared. They like the darkness. They like the status quo. They like the comfort of their sin. And knowing that, you know, you know, justifying it. So, but Paul's saying, listen, if they won't receive Jesus, if they won't receive the light of God, then they're going to remain clouded in darkness. And that is why preaching Christ is the crucial point. Look at uh, uh, how Paul preaches Christ, the light of God, in verses 5 through 7 with me. He says, for we do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord and ourselves your bondservants for Jesus' sake. Listen, Paul knew that he had a much greater message than himself, people. Today, it's a popular thing for preachers to talk about themselves. It it pleases the people when they feel like a preacher is really connecting on an emotional level and being real. It's a popular thing today. But listen, if a preacher is talking too much about themselves, hey, they could find themselves being guilty of preaching themselves and not Jesus. Now, I'm not saying that it's not okay for a preacher to tell a joke or two or to tell a story or two from his life. Obviously, that is okay. But it's all about proportion, isn't it? Let me illustrate this with a story from my own life real quickly here. (laughs) My beautiful daughter was learning to bake, and she decided to bake our family a cake one day. She was so excited about this cake. It was so cute. She spent her afternoon with a cookbook and mixing bowls and ingredients and came the moment she put the cake in the oven and start, started the timer. When the timer went off, we had our first clue, something might not be right, okay? So we pulled that cake out of the oven and it didn't look like it was supposed to look, okay? It wasn't a puffy cake like it was supposed to be. Our second clue came though when we took that first bite. It was extremely, extremely sweet and really crispy, We figured out that she had accidentally mistaken sugar for flour. And so instead of two cups of flour, she put in two cups of sugar plus the quarter cup of sugar that the recipe called for. Now, we all like sugar, don't we? But there's simply too much sugar in that cake that she baked. In the same way, to preach a sermon with all stories and jokes, that will keep people from Jesus. They won't taste Jesus in that sermon. They'll be attracted to the preacher instead. And that is where the problem lies. Paul can't save anybody. I can't save anyone. You can't save anyone. Jesus saves. So how, do we, how, how could we hold back from the people by preaching or promoting ourselves all the time? Speaking of promoting ourselves, guys, we live in the digital age. Social media is the thing. But we as Christians, should we, we should realize the value of that tool that God has given us. And instead of promoting ourselves, we need to be promoting Christ on that platform through that media that God has given us. Verse 6, continuing there, Paul says, For it is God, it is the God who commanded light to shine out of darkness who has shone in our hearts. To give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Just think about that verse for one second here. Think about how light shines in the darkness because that is the way God designed it. And that's the way God commanded it to be. That's an undeniable truth. When you turn on the light in a dark room, darkness flees. 
God designed that principle. He commanded it to be that way. Think about that in this context. The Greek word for light in this verse is not just like a, a, a light as from a candle or a flame, but it's rather illumination from an energy source. And in this case, the energy source is clearly Jesus Christ. So the light that shines in the darkness emanates from Jesus. That source is Jesus Christ himself, shining in the hearts of those who have received his truth, those who believe. That's powerful. That's powerful because wherever you go, wherever you go, you're carrying Jesus, and his light needs to shine. Jesus taught, hey, don't take that light and put it under a basket. No. I'm going to let it shine, let it shine, let it shine. You, get, you know the song, right? Don't let Satan it out. We've got to let that light shine wherever we go. Paul goes on in verse 7. He says, but we have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. The message of the good news is a treasure, he's saying, that we have. We carry it inside our hearts. Jesus lives in the hearts of those who have received and believed the good news, the gospel. But that treasure, it lies, it lives in earthen vessels. Notice that. Earthen vessels. That refers to fragile clay jars. Those were, that was what Paul's talking about. This was existed in his time. In other words, Paul is acknowledging his weakness. He's acknowledging that all human creatures are weak. We break easily. And we've all been broken because of sin. But the excellency of the power is not of us. It is God's power living in our hearts that gets us through, that carries us, that accomplishes God's will in us and through us. That simple insight right there, that's a powerful truth. It helps us also to understand the purpose of suffering, doesn't it? It allows God's glory to shine through us. You know, just as a flower often gives off its strongest fragrance, its best fragrance, when its petals are crushed, or like an olive that gives its precious oil only when pressed, so too your life, my life, we yield our greatest praise, our greatest affection. God gets the most glory, in other words, when we are weak and broken. I wish it wasn't like that. I really do. I really wish it didn't have to be that way. We might not like it, but it is true that in our weaknesses, in our brokenness, God is most glorified. He's often seen most clearly through our lives. But you know what that does is that, that makes suffering valuable. That makes suffering valuable. And that's not popular in, in the world today. In fact, there's a whole death culture, a whole death movement that is preaching to the world that any kind of suffering is not good. And should be avoided at all costs. Even if it means taking your own life. You should have the right to do that. That's a scary thing. The Bible teaches differently when it comes to suffering. The Bible views suffering as something that is a beautiful thing. In which we offer up glory to God through the suffering that we go through. And we, and we also, our character is so grown through that as well. Paul goes on to encourage us through sharing his experience in the ministry in verses 8 through 12. And, and what, I just want to say this before we read these verses. What is so good about this experience in ministry, what is so encouraging is that not only is God being glorified, not only is our character being built through it, 
But we see here that God never allows us to be completely overwhelmed, nor does he ever abandon us, forsake us, or let us be utterly defeated. Check this out in verse 8. He says, we are hard-pressed on every side, yet not crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Always caring about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our body. For we who live are always delivered to death for Jesus' sake, for the life of Jesus also may be mani- or that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So then death is working in us, but life in you. Let's pause right here for a minute. You know there are some Christians out there that think that if you're a really spiritual person or if God is really using you, then you should never suffer. You will never suffer. You'll live in a constant state of victory. Your life will not have anything but blessings and goodness in it if you're really in God's will. But listen, if we're to understand the Holy Scriptures correctly, we, we will understand here that God's servants not only suffer, sometimes they suffer so very severely, it may even be unto death. It may even be unto death. Now there's, I, I want to point out here, there's a difference between suffering for Jesus and suffering because, well, because you might be an idiot. Okay? There's a difference. Some people suffer because we're, well, in my case, because I'm an idiot. Uh, I'm foolish, in other words. And I can suffer because of that foolishness, because of my pride. Sometimes I suffer because of my pride. Or other things. Sin. But, but there's, a, there's a difference there. There's also the suffering for Jesus. And that can sometimes be even up to death. We need to realize something here, guys. You know, we don't live in a place where this is being asked of us, but that doesn't mean it could never happen, and it doesn't mean that we shouldn't think about it and we shouldn't be prepared. We have brothers and sisters around the world that are living this out every day. Think about it. But there are people who, there are Christians, there are believers, fellow believers, who know that there are some things in life that are actually worth more than life itself. Do we know that? There are some things that are worth dying for. And, and denying Jesus Christ is one of those things. Standing up and saying, you know what? Jesus, even if it means I die, I'm not going to deny you. I'm not going to deny in my heart, my love for you, what you've done for me. Now I pray that it never comes to that in our country. But you know what? It is already there in many other countries today. When God's people suffer, they reveal the hope of eternal life that is found in their own personal relationship with Jesus. And that reveals that God is, usually has a greater purpose in our suffering. See, not all suffering is bad. I've talked about that already. But I want to show you guys this table really quickly that summarizes what Paul says to us so beautifully in verses 8 and 9. And, and, and it's, if you look at it in this way, it's, it really helps to bring out the meaning of the text, I think. So hard-pressed means pressured, crowded, oppressed. And yet God's grace means that we're not crushed. Perplexed means to be filled with uncertainty, to have no way out, to be at a complete loss. And yet in God's grace, we're never without hope. We're never without hope. 
To be persecuted means to be subject to harassment and attack because of what you believe, because of taking a stand for Christ. But God's grace, by God's grace, we're never forsaken. We're never left behind. We're never alone. That's a huge comfort. And then struck down means to be thrown down or to be cast down. But listen, through God's grace, we're never destroyed. We're not allowed to perish. That's an amazing, beautiful picture of God's grace in our lives. All I can say to that is praise be to God. His grace is sufficient for us in our weaknesses. We come now to why faith is so important in verses 13 to 15. Paul says, And since we have the same spirit of faith, according to what is written, I believed and therefore I spoke, we also believe and therefore speak. In other words, we have the same faith and and we continue to speak the good news. Verse 14, knowing that he who raised up the Lord Jesus will also raise us up with Jesus and will present us with you. For all things are for your sakes that grace, having spread through the many, may cause thanksgiving to abound to the glory of God. Real quickly here, Paul is quoting from the Septuagint version of Psalm 116, verse 10. That's what he's quoting from in verse 13. And that whole psalm is really a prayer of thanksgiving and praise to God for saving grace. The writer of that psalm, he's he's worshiping God in this moment where he's realizing that God has actually saved him from a near-death experience when his life was, was just about extinguished, and yet God saved him. And he's worshiping God for that. And, and in that psalm, he says, hey, I believed, I believed that God was going to save me, and, and so therefore I spoke, and I was able to continue. In other words, it was his faith that kept him going. And that's what Paul's point is right here. He's saying, listen, it's my faith in God that gives me the strength to continue speaking even in the face of all this adversity and suffering and pressure and being cast down and 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 perplexed i continue to do this because of my faith because of the faith that that i have and listen the secret uh, that was the secret of paul's life his faith is the same faith that the psalmist had and it's centered in the lord listen guys never forget this know this God is telling us through this passage tonight that he will never let us down when we're trusting in him. If if we will trust in the Lord, if we will have that same faith as the psalmist had and as Paul had and as countless number of men and women have had in clinging to the Lord in the hardest and the most difficult of times, God will never let you down. He will never let you go. Does that mean that you'll get the result that you're hoping for every time? No, that's not what that means. It means that God will be faithful to carry out and to fulfill his word in your life. Even if it means that through death, he receives you to himself into eternal life. And many of you know that that's what Psalm 116 verse 15 says. It says, Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his loved ones, of his saints. Verses 16 through 18, as we wrap this chapter up, with eternal perspective that shapes our lives, Paul says, therefore, we do not lose heart. 
Notice the theme tied in all throughout this. It's about not losing heart. Said it in verse 1. Says it again now. We don't lose heart. Even though our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. In other words, this physical tent, this body, it's slowly perishing. You know, those, those that are getting older, we realize that. And I'll just stop right there. But we realize things are sagging that used not to. And it's harder to lose things that we used to be able to lose real fast. And, you know, it's just not the same. The tent is perishing, unfortunately. I know you don't want to hear it. I'm not trying to be negative. But listen, it's a fact. Gravity is taking over. But, and we can fight it all we want, but listen, the point here Paul's making is our inward man is being renewed every day. Verse 17, for our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. Let me just pause right here and say something real quick. You notice we live in a culture today that wants to deny that with all their hearts. Everybody is you know, looking for the supplements and the hormones and this and that, and how can we stay young? Hey, they can do that all they want, and that's fine. But you're not going to reverse what's reality. And that reality is, is that all of us, are, are the outward man is perishing. The, the body's going to die. But the inward man has this opportunity in Christ to continually be renewed, Paul says, and that's a beautiful thing. And if we'll embrace that, Well, we'll realize what's really important in life. It's not the outward, it's the inward. It's the inner man. Verse 17, our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. Verse 18, while we do not look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. I'm going to wrap it up by simply saying that in order to unlock the beauty and the depth of the meaning that's in these verses, we really need to spend some more time on them. We don't have that tonight. But what Paul is challenging you to do is to not look at your life with a temporary mindset that's focused only on now, today. He's asking you, he's inviting you to actually take a look at your life on the spectrum of eternity. You see, for us, life starts at one point and it ends at another date on the calendar. But God is asking us to say, actually, erase that. If you trust in Christ, it never is going to end. And to take that into account and to realize that that little little dash between the dates, which is your life, is actually nothing in comparison with your life before God on the scope of eternity this never-ending spectrum of eternity. So think about that. It'll blow your mind. It'll blow your mind. In fact, we can't understand it. But for now, let's just rejoice tonight. Let's just rejoice in a couple of things. First of all, the fact that we have a God who is able to redeem the hard things, the suffering, the trials in our lives. He's able to take those things and to use them to shine the glorious light of Jesus into the darkness around us. And he's able to use those things to be glorified in our lives. He brings value into suffering. Um, and, and second thing 
tonight, let's just remember how the wonderful, or I'm sorry, how wonderful that ministry of the good news really is. How wonderful it really is. Because of God's mercy, he's given us a ministry to share words of life, to share truth, to share the good news of Jesus Christ. And you might be thinking, I can't do it, I'm a wreck, you know, and, and, and Paul is saying, yeah, guess what? We, we're all clay vessels. <laughs> we're all broken. His light actually shines even brighter through the brokenness, through the humble vessel, through the person who's able to see how great of a treasure we carry in our hearts. Let's pray.